0: Welcome to this week's teaching from
1: Exchange
0: Church in the heart of Belfast. Listen, really good to be up here this morning. We would watch a wee program on TV sometimes. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not. It's called Man vs. Food. And it's like, it's on one of the travel uh, programs there. And it's this guy, he's American and he goes around all sort of all different American cities. And he does these food challenges. And he would sort of maybe, he'd maybe go to somewhere like Philadelphia and he'd do the whole foodie thing, and then he would maybe take on this challenge. It's the world's biggest Philadelphia sandwich or something like that there. Or New York, he would do like a burger or something like this here, And it's, it's amazing. I love watching it, you know, because he sort of goes into the whole background of the cities and stuff like that there. But it's amazing watching this guy, how he just sort of methodically goes through these, these feasts, if you like. It's unreal. And funny enough, when I was watching it, I was thinking about our Adam. You know, why he loves his eggs? He's always talking about the egg challenge, isn't he? He's always talking about, oh, I have to eat more eggs. I have to eat more eggs. But we've got our own version here in Belfast. I don't know if you've ever seen it or heard of it before. Do you know what you call it? Do you? The belly Buster <laughs> Ulster Fry Challenge. And it's unbelievable. Did you get it? <laughs> and it's unbelievable to bring this Ulster Fry out on a tray. It's, it's, it's horrible looking, to be honest. It's like four slices of soda bread, four slices of potato bread, four slices of pancake, bacon, sausage, beans, mushrooms, and then just to top it off, to put a big bowl of greasy, deep-fried chips in with it, and you have 45 minutes to eat this thing, and it it's comes out in the tray, I said, and I watched this guy on the internet trying to eat it, and he was a wee skinny guy like us here, I'm not joking you, and did you see why he was eating it? He started grabbing it like it's here, like fried eggs and all, and soda bread, and he was, and he was just shoveling it into him. And it would, it would have made you sick. It was absolutely revolting, to be honest. And you were just thinking, there's a gallon of cholesterol in that there. And that guy, he, he never done, He never got it. Like, he says, I'll get it the next time. He was nearly there. Like, but unbelievable. But food is a necessity, all joking aside. It's something that we have, to, we have to eat. It keeps us alive. It keeps us healthy. It keeps us strong. You know, and... When you think about it, social interaction and eating, they've always went hand-in-hand, haven't they? It's sort of, um, we're hardwired to share food together and relationship. You see, Oxford University, they published a research paper on this here, and they titled it, I thought the title was brilliant, because it it was a secular thing, and they titled it Breaking Bread. And basically, it's about the benefits of eating together. People who ate meals together with others, communally were more contented they had a greater sense of well-being and they were more embedded in community much more than those who didn't and they actually found the group who didn't who ate the most on their own was over 55s which was which probably when you think about it would be right and it's the same when you you know it's the same when you think about it with us when we invite somebody to our home for a meal maggie loves inviting people around for meals or vice versa you know and she'd say look come home and invite a few people around we'll get them around for dinner you see she'll prepare all day she loves to invite people and she'll prepare all day she'll she'll prep everything she'll do her own starter she'll do her own dessert i say just go around to marty's and get a dessert you don't need to do all that she says no when people come to our home i want to bless them that's her, that's her heart in it and she's say, no i want to bless them and indirectly, when you're doing that, when you're inviting people along to something like that, what you're saying is, I want to share my home with you. I want to be hospitable to you. I want to bless you. I want to, indirectly, what you're saying is, I want to invest in our relationship. I want it to go deeper, in a sense. You see, many a story in our house, like we've had loads of different people in this church, i know, but we've been around the table, and we've had laughs and... Maggie says that's a wine. Well, we have laughs. we've had laughs and stories and all sorts of stuff going on. And it's just been absolutely brilliant because people, what you find is they're less guarded in that environment. There's something about it in that environment. People relax a wee bit more. And it's more intimate. You know, so, you know, when people tend to open up more, you get to know people in a more intimate way. And it's a great way to fellowship together. And also, it's a cultural thing as well. And some countries just seem to excel in this thing of eating and, if you like, connecting with one another. The Middle East being one of them. And I was talking, funny enough, to James last week, and he was telling me he used to be in the RAF regiment, and they were based in Kuwait. And their military camp, he was telling me, was in the middle of the desert. And he says it was in the middle of nowhere. he says just for miles, all you could see was desert. He says it was a wilderness. So they were sent out in patrol one day and they came across uh, these Bedouin uh, tribesmen or tribesman I think it was and he had set up tent in the middle of the desert. And obviously there must have been some type of interaction between them and James says that he invited them in for a meal. So they ended up in this tent in the middle of the desert in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere and he says they sat on the floor of this tent and we had a meal of rice he says and roast lamb over the fire. And I just thought, wow, James said it was surreal. Like it was like one of those moments in time, you know, it's frozen. But I just thought that is a beautiful picture as well for us. It's like a prophetic picture that God provides the lamb. Even when you think you're in a place of wilderness, even when you think you're in a desert, spiritually, God will provide. So, you know, even you look at the Bible, it's full of stories and scenes that take place around tables. We look at the life and ministry of Jesus. So much happened round tables. Sinners came in. The Pharisees were all fighting who would get the best place. And Jesus exposed them time and time again. Intimacy took place. It says John laid his head against his chest. Uh, Judas was exposed at the table, wasn't he, when he dipped his bread in the bitter herbs. So much happened round these tables. There was teaching, there was disclosure. So... You're probably wondering why I'm going on so much about food, but today's talk is aptly named Feasting at the King's Table. And it's a story of a guy called Mathebo Chef. And no, he wasn't a chef, just in case. That was Maggie's wee joke. (laughs) And uh, it's a story of Mathebo Chef in 2 Samuel 9. And it's a beautiful picture of grace, almost like a picture of God's God's salvation for us. So I want to put some context to this story, story, first of all. Uh, David is now king over all of Israel. And Israel is in sort of this stage where it's sort of like a peaceful state. And David's, he's feeling in a very reflective mood, if you like. And it's 15 years on from the death of Saul and his three sons at Mount Gilboa where they fought the Philistines and lost, obviously. And Jonathan, David's beloved friend, he was one of the ones who was killed. So David's, uh, like I say, David has this thing on his heart that God put on his heart to bless one of uh, Jonathan's family. And David and Jonathan, they had this covenantal relationship with each other. They were like blood brothers. They had this close bond. It was like unbreakable. They had such a, a loyalty for each other to the point where Jonathan even disobeyed and even uh, before Saul, his father, he, he looked, after, looked out for David and part of their oath, they took covenant with one another, and part of their oath was that their families would always be in relationship. So there was this one, remember, uh, one remaining member of Jonathan's household, and David had said he wanted to see if he could bless someone of Jonathan's household or the house of Saul. And his name was Shef. And Mephibosheth was a very interesting character, as we can see. In 2 Samuel 4 and 4, when he was five years old, he was dropped by his his nurse, rendering him lame in both feet. And interestingly, five being the number for grace. You see, when news had came about Saul and Jonathan's defeat and death in the battle of Mount Gilboa, word came back to Saul's camp, and the nurse fled with the young child, and she dropped him. And that's how he ended up. He fell on both feet, and the both feet were brain, uh, broken. And eventually, they had ushered Methibo Shef out of the way, and he ended up in an area east of the River Jordan in a town called Lodabar. So we now come to the point in the story where most commentators would say Methibo Shef was probably 20, 21 years old. I'm going to read from 2 Samuel 9. It's headlined David's Kindness to Methibochef. Put it up. Uh, we're going to go verse, uh, several verses through this here. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there still not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. You see, we need to take stock here. As much as Zeba is a, a, a servant in this story, he's a very important character. You see, Ziba is a picture of someone living under the law. He was a servant who came from the household of Saul. He was used to working in a system, if you like, that was based on man's efforts, not in grace. You see, Saul he started off in abundance under the favor of God, and he ended up in lack. Look what happened to him in the end. He, felt he, he actually committed suicide. You see, we see these character traits, the same traits in Ziba later on, 2 Samuel 16, when he tried to set up Mephibosheth. He was very manipulative, very cunning, and he sought to make gain through his own guide. You see, when Zeba turned around, he says, he is crippled in both feet. Makes you think, doesn't it? Why did he say that? He's crippled in both feet. David didn't ask him that. Was he possibly sown seeds of doubt? A caveat, so to speak. Watch out, David. He doesn't measure up their flaws. Part of the legalist place. Ah, but. Ah, but. You see, he doesn't meet all the requirements. Not of the right appearance. Doesn't make the cut. Therefore, undeserving of the blessing. And yet David in the other hand was a picture of Christ. He was a picture of grace in this story. He was God's anointed. He was God's appointed. God's hand of favor was upon his life. And as much as David made mistakes, he always had that grace spirit in him. He always wanted to honor God. You see, he didn't ask what Mephibosheth looked like. He didn't say, "What, what, what, what does this guy measure up? Is he off the right mental state? Could he hack it? Was he made of the right stuff? No, it was unconditional kindness he was shown. No strings attached. Verse 4. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machar, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Machar, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Methibo the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, Came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Methibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid home eats and said, What is your servant? This is Mephibosheth. What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? You see, the more we read of this story, the more we get to see this beautiful picture of grace. Mephibosheth, you know what his name meant? The speller of shame, or from the mouth of shame, living in a place of obscurity. See where he lived, a place called Lodabar. Lo means no. No pastors. He lived in a place of no pastors. He lived in a place of nothingness. He lived in a wilderness. He's crippled in both feet, ungainly, unsightly, as all his family members were gone. In fact, he probably had this distant memory of, he was part of the old lineage, royal lineage, distant memory of what they had, and yet he had nothing. He was head away in this place. And yet, grace sought him out. Grace sought him out. Grace went and pursued this young man. Grace brought him to the king's feet. You see, Mephibosheth at this time, he had such low self-esteem. He seen himself as a dead dog. That was a real insult in those days to call yourself a dead dog. He seen himself as nothing. Rubbish, a loser, somebody to be tossed aside. And, yet, and it had the potential to go badly wrong as well because he was part of the old dynasty, part of the old lineage. And here he was, he was brought to the king. He was brought to the king's feet. And you know what would have happened in those days? He had been put to the sword, put to death, because that's what they'd done. They cut, the, cut the lineage off. Any surviving relatives, any surviving members of the household would have been put to the sword so nobody could come on down the line and challenge that throne. And yet David, yet David behaved or responded, should I say, the complete opposite. He is reminded of his covenant with Jonathan. He shows outrageous kindness. He restores, he restores all Saul's land in Mephibosheth and then adopts him. He literally adopts him into his family with the highest honor of eating at the king's table, always. Powerful. This is just like a picture of salvation for us. It's the same thing. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, verse nine. Sorry, I'm away way ahead of you. Verse nine. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and to his house, I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him. And you shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson son, shall have, may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Zebah had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Zebah said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at the table like one of the king's own son. You see, I love this here. Ziba, who worked and lived with the king's commands as a servant, you see, not as a son. He wasn't a son. Not like Mephibosheth. He was serving. He was, under, he was a servant. Ziba, the pitcher of the law, yet he serves the recipient of grace. It's absolutely beautiful. Powerful. Powerful. And his household works and toils the land to bless the house of Mephibosheth. Awesome. From shame and the place of no pastors to sonship. That's us. That's us. That's who we are. Verse 12. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. And there finishes in the last verse, the way it started in the first verse. You see, Mephibosheth would eat at David's table of grace, adopted into his family, his dignity restored, his wealth restored, his name restored, a testimony of how God does what God does with us. And the thing that defined him most, you see, his broken feet, his source of shame, they were always hidden under that table when he sat down, a posture of rest. You see, this story is a picture of salvation. David is a type of Christ, a rescuer of the weak. And it's like God's grace and mercy to us. He takes those from obscurity, the broken, the weak, the lame, the foolish things of this world, those that carry the badge of shame, those that came from the place of no pastors, those that came from the wilderness, and rescues them like Christ did for us. When he brings restoration and blessings into our lives. You see, a couple of weeks ago, Andrew spoke on Psalm 23, and that has been resonating in my heart. It just keeps popping up all over the place. And I know it is the most popular psalm there is, but it makes so much more sense. See, when I read this story of Mathebusheth, and then it, what you do is you end up placing yourself in that story almost of salvation when you think what the lord has done for you you start to put yourself almost in his shoes you think that's what the lord's done for me when i read psalm 23 and read this story it makes so much more sense that picture of redemption in our own lives i'm going to read it now if we can put up psalm 23 powerful the lord is my shepherd Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And the best rendering of that word is, and Penny said it the other week, week, shall hunt me down or shall pursue me. Shall pursue me all the days of my life, goodness and mercy. And I will dwell in the the house of the Lord forever. You see, friends, we have a seat at the King's table of grace today (laughs) prepared by the Holy Spirit and his banner over us is love. It's a celebration of the kindness of God where we get to partake in communion with him, a place of intimacy, a place of joy, a place of peace, a place of acceptance, a place where we should feel encouraged and esteemed, a place of safety, a place where there's food, glorious food. The fruit of the Spirit is manifest love, peace, joy, patience, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, self-control, where we are fed, We are fed the word of God, which is like milk, nutritious, which is like meat, sustenance, which is like honey, sweet to the taste. It helps us to grow strong. we, We can receive the fruit of righteousness. We receive seeds of faith, bread, wine, all metaphors, all metaphors, but everything is fully tangible in the spirit. You see, it's like an oxymoron We can be filled, satisfied, and yet hunger for more. But there's no worry. There's an endless supply. (laughs) There's an endless supply. You see, Jesus is fully committed. His love and blessing is relentless over our lives. You can't get away from him. He pursues us. Goodness and mercy will hunt us down all the days of our life. Every week, we can come to this communion table. As James was up, taking us through it. It's a place of presence. Like the Old Testament, the showbread, the table of showbread. It's a place of presence. It's, it's a place of provision where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. You see, and yet so many linger. And I am not saying this here as condemnation in any shape or form. Hear me. So many linger and hold back. Not rejecting, not receiving. Just watching others feast. You know, but silently disqualifying themselves. You see, I want to encourage you today. Grace is calling you to take your place at the table again. At the king's table, not just one day, but every day. But today can be a start, can't it? We all know we can't survive one meal a week. Joseph Prince came off with a lovely quote, and I think it's great. We must learn to eat our way to victory. (laughs) What a beautiful quote see, a healthy body eats well, doesn't it? I love a scripture in Isaiah 55, 1 and 2, and it's applicable today, as it was to Israel, coming out of the Babylonian exile. Isaiah 55, is it up there? Yep. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. You see, Jesus is the only one who can satisfy us. Has disappointment carried you off to the low debar today? The place of no pastures? The wilderness? I've got news for you. Grace has come today to bring you to the king. Even in the wilderness, you can feast on the Lamb. Remember that picture of James in the desert? Even in the wilderness, we can feast on the Lamb. There's only one thing that will keep us, there's only one thing that will keep us from the banquet and table, and it's when we focus on that which is crippling us. When we start to focus on the thing that's crippling us or the thing that's causing us to limp or maybe it's a miracle that you're waiting on. Maybe you're waiting on a miracle. Maybe you've been waiting for years and for the answer and it's wrecked you so much. You say, "You say, I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm saved. I know the Lord blesses me. But my expectations are now very low. I've set the bar low. Please let me encourage you today. Come to the table of grace and partake. None of us are any different. We all carry our wounds. Nobody's any different in life. You know, you can't come through this life unscathed. It's impossible. Some carry their limp on the outside, but there's plenty carry it on the inside. You know, it might be a physical ailment, and it's visible, you can see it, but there's plenty limping on the inside. You see, can I, be real, can I really be candid with you and just be open? We came here, I don't know, five years ago, maybe a wee bit more, and we were limping. We were limping spiritually. Or should I say we were crippled spiritually and we came into this church. And we were looking America. No, we didn't tell anybody anything. We probably played our cards very close to our chest, so to speak. Didn't tell anybody. But that's what was happening. And we were looking for America. And we came in here and we sat here for two years and done nothing. And just sat and listened to the words of grace. Every week, and fed on them. And that wasn't a belly buster meal like the Ulster fry, where you crammed as much as you could into you in forty-five minutes. It was bite-sized meals, because when somebody's sick or weak, you can't give them a lot. But bit by bit, we got stronger and stronger. And do you know what changed? Do you know what really changed? See, that miracle we were looking for, well, we didn't get it. There you are. We didn't get it. But do you know what really did change? Do you know what the real miracle was? Us. We changed. We changed. That was a real miracle. And I'm, not, I'm still believing for a miracle. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I'm going to say something. We couldn't survive now without the Lord. Every day. Every day. Even on the worst days, I couldn't survive without him. So I, I want to encourage you today. Don't stop believing for your miracle. But don't let disappointment or that thing That's crippling you, stop you from coming from this table and devouring, taking what Jesus has for you. Don't let it hold you back. You see, my table chef was limping every time he came to the table. It was only when he took his seat, which was a posture of rest, isn't it? When he sat down, it was a posture of rest. And his feet were hidden under the table, that source of shame. You see, God's not in the business of exposing us with all our hurts, all our wounds. That's not what he's about the things that cripple us, he actually provides a covering of grace and healing for us. That's what he does. But we'll have to come to him. We'll have to receive from him. You see, the Lord has called us to a place of intimacy again. A people who are consumed with him. A people who will worship him in spirit and truth. A people who will know him as a father and not just as a theology. People who will resist the lure to operate in worldly systems and methodologies. That's in church I'm talking about instead of seeking his wisdom and counsel. You see, the church, the Holy Spirit is calling us to go deeper, to go into uncharted waters. The invitation is there to go and explore and experience the depths of his beauty, of his grace. Take your place again at the table. See, you have to say to yourself, what is the Spirit saying to us, church? What is the Holy Spirit saying to us? we are called to be a prophetic people, a people who hear his voice and allow the shepherd to to lead us. That's all it means. That's all prophetic means. It means John 10, 27 puts it beautiful. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's what a prophetic people are. You know, let the shepherd lead us. When he says to go to new pastures, we go. When he says be still, we pause. That's what it is. You see, Andrew's talked about speaking. And we talked about knowing him as a father. Penny spoke about his presence always being with us. Just like he's omnipresent. We breathe him in every day. He's around us, everywhere. Today is about feasting at the table. It speaks about God calling us. All these things are calling us into a deeper relationship. A greater, greater level of intimacy. And there's no striving. No it's not like, oh, you're trying to pluck something out of the air. There's no mystery. It's simply acknowledging truth that he speaks over our lives. As Paddy said, there's facts and then there's truths. It's about acknowledging those truths he speaks over our lives and then coming in line with them. That's it. That's, That's the mystery to it. It's so simple. And receiving all that he has for us in faith. You see, if you're not a Christian today, there's an invitation to come to this table. You see, we're not just like a wee holy, exclusive club. God forbid if we are. This is the cross it makes it even ground for everyone. Everyone, everyone. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, there's an invitation for you to come to the Lord. There's an invitation for you to come to the table. There's an invitation, Grace has sought you out today. <laughs> to bring you to the feet of the king. All you have to do is believe and receive. You see, friend, it wasn't just Methuselah who had the fall. We all did. Romans 3 says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That fall happened in Genesis. That was the original sin. And it's the fact that every generation, all mankind over the ages, nobody's, nobody's exempt, but grace has sought you out today to bring you to the feet of the king. And all you have to do is believe and say, yes, the King Jesus. I believe in you and receive you into my heart today. I want to leave you with that thought and we'll come back to it. Just, um, uh, that's basically me finished. I just want to pray for you. If you'd like to stand, please. Yes, thank you Father thank you that you're always calling us deeper you're always calling us closer thank you that it's you who's always running to us <laughs> even when we think we're far even when we think we're in that wilderness place Lord that desert Lord you are there you have provided the lamb Jesus Lord so I just pray for everybody in this room today Father that we would have a greater revelation of you, that we would start to align ourselves with what you're doing, that we'd start to align our hearts with what you're saying to us, individually and as a church, that would allow you to be the shepherd again in our lives, to lead us. (laughs) Psalm 23. Thank you, Lord. So Lord, I just pray for every single person in this room, Lord that they would just walk out of here, Lord, just with faith, hope renewed, Lord, strengthened in some shape or form, Lord, that their eyes would be fixed upon you again, Lord, that they just receive a touch from you, Holy Spirit. I want to pray for anybody who you don't know Jesus yet. You've maybe not asked him in your life, but you know he's calling you. You know you're here today. These words are speaking to you. You know it's pulling on your heart. You can't resist them. It's the hardest thing in the world to do, but it's the easiest thing to do. It's just saying yes to Jesus. I'd like to pray for you today. Is there one person here? If there is, just put your hand up. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You're in a family now. The invitation is there. I'll just give you one more moment. Okay. Well, it's, it'll never be too late, even at the end of the service. if there's someone here and you want to know Jesus, just come up at the end and we'll gladly pray for you and just have a wee chat. So Lord, we just thank you for everything today, Lord. We thank you for everything that's went on in church today, Lord, that you've been in the midst of it, Lord, that you're over it all, Lord, and we just give you thanks, Lord, and just praise your holy name, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
1: Hey, amen. That's your appreciation, Stevie. And uh, I- I've loved sitting here this morning. I, I think, um, you know, huge thank you to James and to Stevie um, for leading us this morning, bringing us to the word. It's been such a a Jesus-centered service. I absolutely love that thought. You know what I love as well? I love the fact that, like, when you're asked to speak, you you pick a cracker. Like, you could have picked Jude or John or James, but you go for Mephibosheth, right? (laughs) And you have to say it, like, 40 times. So I was chuckling to myself going, man, I would have called him Big M or something, right? made it easier but listen i i think what the lord really wants to impress on us all is is that it's a it is a a beautiful picture of grace and i I love that picture of when you sit at the king's table all of your dysfunction and brokenness is not seen i'm I'm praying that over you this week that this week that whatever situation you're going to walk into wherever you're going to find yourself that first and foremost you'll be seated spiritually speaking seated at a place of rest with Jesus, receiving grace upon grace upon grace. Because in that place you're not even aware of the dysfunction or the brokenness because you're just eating of what who he says he is and what he has done for you. That's an incredible picture. I love how Stevie just encouraged us there with, you know, it's like the, the system of the world had had forgotten him. But it was all, all it was all about favor. It was like, how can I you know, who's got the covenant so I can show them kindness? Isn't that amazing? You now that's what God says over you this week, right? He looks as his, his eyes go backwards and forwards. He goes, who are the ones in covenant with me through the finished work of Jesus and his grace so I can show them my kindness? He is hunting you down with favor. Do you get that? The Psalms talking? about his eyes go backwards and forwards all the time looking for those he can bless. I speak that over you this week, church. Amen. You've got to receive it. Who says amen? I'm going to receive this word this morning. I'm going to stay seated at the feet of Jesus and I'm going to feed myself on all that is good. All that is grace this week. Amen. Father, thank you for that word. This morning, we're going to worship together. Church, we're going to lift our offering. I want to encourage you this morning. Be very generous in your giving. It's good for you to give. Uh, There's no guilt, okay? So if you feel guilty about giving, don't do it, okay? Just keep your money in your pocket and ask that Jesus for a revelation of grace. He is your provider, and he's already provided everything that you need. There is a faith aspect to that, where what we do is we take out of that which he has supplied for us, and we pour it back to him. And it postures us and positions us to receive grace upon grace in our lives. Because, uh, you know, when, when he's at the center and we're eating, it never, as Stevie said, it never runs out. There's a supply that never runs out. So we encourage you to give and to give generously. Okay, don't live in fear. And don't do it, whatever you do, don't do it out of guilt. Because it doesn't help you. And then we're going to worship together. Is that good? We're going to lift our hands together. We're going to lift um, this last song over our lives as we get ready to go at the end of this week lift this song as a declaration let the truth just settle your heart and your mind in Jesus name let's worship